Welcome to I'm Obsessed with This, the Netflix podcast about the shows and films everyone seems to be talking about and why. As usual, we will be having a spoiler-filled discussion on all titles, so check the show notes for timestamps in case you want to avoid them. I'm your host, Bobby Finger, and I am joined today by Jamie Green, columnist for the New York Times Book Review and author of the forthcoming book, The Possibility of Life, and Emmy Blotnick, writer and comedian whose new stand-up special can be seen on Comedy Central right now. And hello to you two. Hello. Hi, Jamie. How's everything going? Good. Great. It's still very cold. I feel like I always start the episodes by being like, it's cold, but it's still cold. It's freezing. It's very cold, yeah. Um, So thanks for making it over here. You're all in the studio today. That's great. Yes. Hello. I can see you both. It's, yeah, it's nice. It's nice <laughs> to look at you both. Uh, we've got three different flavors of seltzer, oh, which I, I think really is nice. I was really hoping we were going to do the beverage check. Uh, you got to do a beverage check. I'm doing the Pomplamousse LaCroix, La Croix. You're doing the tangerine. I've got tangerine. I'm doing lime. <laughs> look at us. It's really nice that we have like three very unique perspectives on today's titles. Yes, you we're know? sort of the, the Tony, Tony, Tony <laughs> of drinks and shows. It's great. Um, so I want to ask you, what's the last thing you watched on Netflix not counting the things that I forced you to watch on Netflix. Like, what's the last thing you watch on Netflix of your own free will? It's been, okay, a lot of Bob Ross for me. I'm thrilled that that's on there because it is the most soothing show in the world. Everyone said, I I haven't watched it since I was a kid. It's actually as good as people say. Believe it, Bobby. (laughs) It is so good. And it's like that kind of show will probably never get made again where it's just like, you know, a gentleman painting. That's that doesn't feel like a pitch anymore. <laughs> and it's just low. And there I didn't I watched it when I was a kid, but the part I didn't remember is that there are these little interludes of Bob Ross with small animals. Oh. And that so in the middle of painting he'll be like, We're just gonna take a little break from these lovely trees and play with these baby squirrels. And it'll just be him with like a handful of baby like chipmunks or squirrels or whatever and he's petting them and feeding them and you're like, This is like a, a beautiful fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at his at his Wikipedia now. I didn't know he died so young. He was only 52. Oh. That's really sad. But he amassed how many episodes of this show? Let's see how many episodes of this it show. It seems like an awful lot. Yeah. He filmed 403 episodes of that show in <gasps> that time. Shit. So yeah, we can we can watch him forever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's it's more a good supply. That's like over double the episodes of Golden Girls, and I watch those all the. <laughs> time over and over and over and over and over again it's also funny to me that he's from florida and lived in florida and yet his landscapes made me think that he lived in like colorado yeah he's he's like a wyoming man like what do you did he does he do a lot of florida landscapes is there a florida landscape (laughs) is it like swamps flat (laughs) flat swamps some nice sharps by this dumpster i feel like those (laughs) at least haven't gone like viral or entered the like collective consciousness the way his like pretty trees and rivers and like babbling brooks have yeah yeah, yeah. it's like hey we've got a motel that's caught on fire recently <laughs> <laughs> and, okay <laughs> jamie what have you been watching i have been similarly in the in the comfort viewing vein been going back over and over again to the john mulaney specials okay just like rotating through the other day i like got a line of his stuck in my head and i was like i need to find this i need to hear it i need to like absorb it into me it's the where he's talking about his wife and how he checked with her if it was okay to talk about her in his comedy Mm -hmm. and she's like yeah just don't say like my wife's a bitch and i hate her and then he says (laughs) the most beautiful line anyone has ever said about their partner which is my wife is a bitch and i like her so much oh yeah (laughs) that's very sweet it's just you know i was thinking about him recently because i was i don't doesn't matter where i was but i was with someone else and there was a gazebo around and i was like oh a gazebo (laughs) 
like the John Mulaney joke and they knew who what I was talking about and I almost thought about trying to sort of like struggle through a quotation of that joke and I was like yeah. it's like when he looks at the plank and and I was like you get it I'm not even gonna try because I can't deliver this <laughs> it's so lucky like that, that they knew what you were talking about that you didn't have to say oh well there's this John Mulaney yeah <laughs> where we could have like the the silent like 30 second recollection of his stand-up and like enjoy the memory and not have to suffer through like me getting it completely wrong <laughs> yes oh I've butchered there's one line in the newest one about the puppet woman who comes to the assembly where he's like what was so funny about that woman with the long straight see I'm about to butcher it but that's my favorite joke in that special I tried to do this on our first episode of this podcast I was talking about all the bird box memes and I was like you know what doesn't work talking about bird box memes (laughs) nothing nothing is a harder sell than talking about a bird box meme what about a meme you haven't seen about a show you haven't watched (laughs) what could go wrong yeah Uh, Sandra Bullock in a blindfold has to be seen. It cannot be (laughs) spoken. So I rewatched Junebug. Every once in a while, like, a diamond in the rough pops up, and it, like, knows me so well. So I rewatched Junebug. I haven't seen it in, like, 10 years. Have you seen Junebug? No. I've never seen it. Oh, my God. It's so lovely. It's Amy Adams's first, like, Oscar-nominated role. Oh. Probably maybe her best performance. Do you know what it's about? No. Oh, my God. It's, like... Alessandro Nivola and M. Beth Davids, who is best known as Miss Honey and Matilda, are like a posh New York couple. She's like English and like cool. She works at a gallery. He falls in love with her. They get married really quickly. But he's Southern. He's a Southern boy who lives in New York. They go to his hometown and Amy Adams is his sister-in-law. His brother is Ben McKenzie of the OC fame. And he just has to spend, it's sort of like culture clash. They have to, these New York cosmopolitan people have to spend, it's like very red state, blue state, have to spend a weekend in North Carolina. But Amy Adams is just like overflowing with love and adoration for everyone. And she's pregnant. It's just, it's not condescending about small towns. It's just very sweet. The grin on your face right it's now. Like truly, just, it's like truly, it's like truly like, I mean, this is, I'm obsessed like a with pregnant this. woman. <laughs> I was rewatching it and I was like, she's so wonderful. Uh, ben McKenzie. Ben McKenzie. And he's like, fine. He's maybe the weakest, <laughs> he's the weakest link in the movie, but like, who doesn't really have some sort of affection for him, I guess. If you watched one episode of The O.C., mm-hmm. I think you will be endeared to him yeah. forever. Have you have you been surprised by anything you've been recommended to watch recently? My recommendations get really polluted by what my husband watches. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, a few nights ago, he watched the documentary about Flat Earthers mm-hmm. and then immediately followed that with a documentary about the alt-right, uh-huh. nice. which sounds like a real fun <laughs> night. It sounds like the exact opposite of what we're describing. Like, he, I had gone to bed and he told me about that in the morning. I was like, that sounds so depressing. Because in the flat... Which one? Both of them? Both. <laughs> but, because in the Flat Earther documentary, in the second half of it, they start buying all this extremely expensive equipment to disprove the roundness of the earth they buy like a twenty thousand dollar thing to prove that the earth doesn't like move 15 degrees every hour and then they find that it does oh no and so like and they can't return it (laughs) (laughs) so it just feels like sad and expensive and embarrassing Mm -hmm. so things like that get in the recommendations Mm -hmm. and so it's like i it must be very challenging for the algorithm because it's like that and bake-off what do you think we want to watch next (laughs) and they're just like more episodes of the office i don't know are they right 
Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What's the weirdest thing you've gotten? It might have been like Russia's toughest prisons or something like that. <laughs> I think it was one of those ones where From I'm like, Bob Ross. Yeah. And I'm like, who do you think I am? And then how many episodes did you watch? <laughs> Seven. No, we did. We, I watched a little bit of it because it was so, I, the title was so grabby Russia. that I was like, I should check out what this is. And it's what it sounds like. There's no twists. This other thing I wanted to show you guys that I didn't talk about in advance because I wanted your earnest reactions to it. This show has been recommended to me, um, and it's called Northern Rescue. And I just want you to look at the poster and see if you can discern what it's about. Do you know who the man in the center is? Can you name this man? Is it one of the Baldwins? It is one of the Baldwins, but can you name the Baldwin? Philippe? <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like who the, like, the lowest tier Baldwin mm-hmm. is that I know. Yeah, I want to um, say it's not Steven. No. It's... Right? Franklin. There are two left. <laughs> if it's not Alec and it's not Steven. It's not Billy, is it? No. It's Billy. <gasps> Damn. It's William Baldwin. That's not what he used to look like. Like, what are they rescuing? People from the woods? Is it animals? I will read themselves? you the... Themselves? I will read Probably. you the... Um, I will read you the plot description really quickly. Thank you. After the death of his wife, Sarah, John West, played by Baldwin, Billy, um, packs up his three children and moves from their hectic urban life to his small northern hometown to take command of the local search and rescue service. I love it. Once there, the family struggles with their new surroundings and new friends and accepting Sarah's death. So it's, I guess, a, a procedural wrapped in family drama wrapped in Canada, in ice. It's wrapped yeah. in ice. Cool. Did we all watch Walk, Ride, Rodeo? Walk, period. Ride, period. Rodeo, period. Yes. We watched it. Yes. Jamie, what did you think of Walk, Ride, Rodeo? Man, I thought a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, I don't even know where to start. It never was exactly what I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. I agree. Except for the fact that it was very sentimental and tear-jerky. Mm-hmm. That was exactly what you would expect from it. And that it was, you know, inspirational. That the point of it was about overcoming hardship and inspiring us the viewers people within the movie yeah i guess that part was expected but the way that it went about it kept sort of throwing me off took a winding road yeah to get to the inspirational part and it spent time in places where i didn't expect it to spend a lot of time and Mm -hmm. then would skip over like emotional changes and then we were like all right we're ready to be inspired and i was like okay yeah and by the end i guess i was inspired yeah it took the long road it did it walked slowly it rode slowly it rodeoed pretty quickly. I it would rodeoed, say. rodeoed very quickly, like seventeen <laughs> seconds, pretty often. It rodeoed pretty quickly. What did you think, Emmy? I think the the winding description of the whole movie also applies to many lines in the movie. <laughs> I was thinking of one. It was in my head on the way here, and I hope I'm not butchering it, a la a Mulaney joke. It was a, a mixed metaphor, I believe. It was something like this chair can either be your wings or be your anchor. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's like three metaphors in here. Yeah. And also, like an anchor isn't a bad thing to have, yeah. but in that case, it's it's her mom saying to the the girl who uses the wheelchair now, like, it can either be a tool that you use or it can hold you back. But it's like anchors are like, they make you steady. They make you yeah. solid. Yeah. And the- like, it's a classic wings or anchor situation, <laughs> you know? Of it's- course. Everyone has one or the other. Mm-hmm. And and you've got to choose which one it's going to be. Are you going to fly in your chair or are you going to drown in your uh-uh. chair? <laughs> it's just such a... I was 
anyway, I, I think I probably am. <laughs> this is not going to get better. Well, but also like the the a lot of the lines had that sort of meandering quality, but they were also extremely direct. Mm-hmm. It's like very upfront about exposition points and setting up the stakes and setting up like who believes what and mm-hmm. what they want you to to know about each character and each situation. Mm-hmm. It's like an emotionally very intense movie, but it's not challenging in any way. It's that weird. It's not like the Bob Ross comfort stuff in that there's like a lot of pain and suffering and it's pretty violent actually it yeah. is actually the do the car crash scene I re- we're like jumping into details mm-hmm. do we need to give yeah, like describe what the movie's about like what's the setup what's okay. it about Jamie so um, it's about this young woman she's like 18 years old and she's um, a rodeo star not like a bucking bronco thing but like a horse obstacle course kind of no. rodeo and she is driving somewhere that her mother doesn't want her to drive on Mm -hmm. her own Mm -hmm. and gets into a car accident and has a spinal cord injury and becomes paraplegic. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe the first third of the movie. And as we were saying, like the car crash is very graphic and violent. So much more graphic than I expected. Yeah, Yeah. because it's like with a movie like this, you're kind of expecting it to be like that sort of like nice warm bath feeling, but it doesn't hold back from the the violence of that or the intensity of the agony of everyone's emotions. But so she is paraplegic and is told she'll not be able to use her legs again. And she goes through some rehab and physical therapy. And the title comes from at one point, the physical therapist says to her at their first session, what are your goals? And she says, walk, ride, rodeo. Mm -hmm. And long story short, and to steal the really charming last line of the of the movie is that she gets back on her horse and learns to ride again. She competes in rodeo again. And then as for the walking, you know. When the doctors asked what my goals were, I said, walk, ride, rodeo. I got the last two. About that first one, maybe one day. And it's based on a true story. Mm -hmm. So you're constrained by the actual facts of, of what happened. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, I'm glad she didn't learn how to walk again, which is an awful thing to say and is not what I mean. But narratively, <laughs> I'm glad that she didn't, and to separate it from the fact that this is someone's real life story, it would have been so much unrealistic triumph if she was just like walking around and fine. Yeah. But instead she's like on her horse doing amazing things on a horse, but strapped in with seatbelts. Mm-hmm. Like there is still adversity there. Mm-hmm. One of the most inspirational parts of the movie comes at the end, uh, the reveal that the real Amberly did all the stunts on the movie, and, which was a nice a nice little thing. And that was the moment in the movie that made me cry. No crying like, before then. No crying before then. And so it's like at, it's like a like a little postscript of the movie that like Amberly still rides rodeo, she's professional and she did all the stunts for this and you like see her on the horse mm-hmm. and I just I started crying and it kind of it made me wish that it had been a documentary yeah. because just seeing her on her horse because when I was watching the movie I was wondering especially when it was that you could see that it was the actress and not the stunt person mm-hmm. I was wondering if she was still kind of using her legs to ride and what it really looks like if you don't use your legs at all because your legs are a huge part of riding and directing mm-hmm. a horse and just knowing finally that I was actually watching the real person doing this had a totally different emotional level for me. Mm -hmm. I almost wonder if it would be, if it would change the sort of like emotional journey you go on through the movie if you knew that up front. If there was some weird introductory text that said all the stunts performed were performed by um, uh, Amberly, and I don't, and I don't know. I don't know if it, if it is if it is kind of a nice reveal. Maybe it works better as a reveal where you can like reprocess everything. I'm not sure, 
but I wonder if that's a conversation that was had. When I sent you both the trailer for this before we watched the film, I thought, and I think you did, Emmy, maybe you did too, I thought this would be much more of a romance because the trailer sells it as like, not only is she overcoming adversity, she's overcoming this like disability, but she's also meeting a hunk and like a hunk who can walk and who doesn't care that she is, uh, you know, confined to a wheelchair and, you know, loves her anyway. And I was like, that's sweet. I love that. I love that so much. But the romance sort of does take a backseat to... A reverse cowgirl. A reverse... The romance takes a reverse cowgirl That's to the inspirational, you know, triumph disability angle of this of the movie. And I personally think that it would have been maybe a more satisfying movie as like a, a film narrative if they would have added in some of the like cliche stuff. Because when you're in this category of movie anyway, when you're in like a very TV hallmarky movie, you kind of want it to hit certain beats. And this movie hit a lot of those beats, but it didn't hit the romantic beats that I wanted. Even if something is like predictable, I don't care as long as it like touches me like in this way that I'm used to a movie like this touching me. Were you also dissatisfied with the with the lack of romance? I appreciated the fact that the romance wasn't the vehicle by which she came to terms and made peace with her injury and that she didn't need the romance in order to make this emotional recovery. Mm -hmm. But it was narratively confusing. Like the first time he kissed her, they had been mostly FaceTiming a lot and chatting Um, And so they obviously were building this connection, but I was still surprised the first time he kissed her. It's right before the like big climactic competition. And I think he's helping her from the horse to her chair. Mm -hmm. And so he's holding her, like cradling her and they kiss for the first time. Yeah. I would assume the first kiss. Um, There was like a real red flag moment to me where she says to him, you're the first person who's made me feel like I'm not in this chair. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Ah." yeah, because the chair is not her anchor. It is her wings. And like when she's not on a horse, she uses the chair to be able to get around. And it's like a tool and and a helpful thing. And being in the chair is never even shown to be so like confining to her. There's one, like the first time she tries to take it out to go see the horses, she like gets caught in a rut in the dirt. But like being on the horse is amazing for her. The movie stops being about whether or not she can walk really quickly, which Mm -hmm. I appreciated. It's just like, how do I ride this horse? And that like just made me feel a little cringy about how the chair and her disability were treated as an obstacle or an anchor anchor. for her because it actually like from from my point of view, it kind of becomes moot. Like she's able to ride. She's doing great. And the chair is part of her and the chair is helping her. And she's grown to respect the chair. And so it's like when he falls in love with her, he falls in love with her chair included. Yeah, not it has like, nothing to do with the despite chair. Like, the he chair. Does, exactly, which is like, yeah. which is great and is avoiding another disability story pitfall. Mm. What did you think of the movie, Emmy? Uh, I'll admit that horses are not my animal and never have been. <laughs> what is so, your animal? Yeah, what's your I animal? I guess I'll go dog. I, I mean, that's, I'll watch. I'll watch any dog thing, but the the I was never a horse gal, so my compassion is limited in this area. She's it's obviously a good story. I yeah. would have liked to be there when they're like, it's a story about a girl who gets back on the horse. Is there a metaphor here? <laughs> <laughs> How do we make this? Hmm. Yeah, is there a lesson that could be learned? Um, but yeah, I thought it, you know it's it's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, it fills this bucket like it it's it reminded me of. The Princess Switch reminded me of 
a lot of the holiday content that's been popping up on Netflix lately, like the original movies, because yeah, they're like lower, they're not Roma, you know? Yeah. Like they're not, they're not Alfonso Cuaron films. They're not, you know, whatever the new Martin Scorsese one is, The Irishman. But they feel like if Netflix is truly going to replace television, they have to replace as many buckets as they can. And this is definitely a bucket. Like the Hallmark movie, Lifetime movie is a bucket that exists and there is a demand for. So I was like, I understand the desire for this, but it's definitely not my bag. I didn't, I wasn't mad watching it. Like I was like, this isn't for me, but I'm not annoyed. And also there's something to be said about just watching a movie that just gets from point A to point B and you're done. And I don't have to like watch two episodes of Working Moms <laughs> and think like, this was good, but do I want to give you know, another four hours of my life to finishing this season where it's like she got back on the horse and she's in love with the boy, the hunky boy who can walk. And I was like, you know, I'm happy that I saw that um, and I'm inspired. So in that respect, it filled a void. But it was also like, come on. Yeah. But then like comparing it to the other movies that you mentioned in this bucket, I don't think any of those are harrowing. Yeah. Like that su surprised me that the car accident and the, there's a long scene after the car accident because they're getting to the moment where the paramedics try to move her mm -hmm. and she screams in pain. Oh, it's awful, but yeah. So there's a very long scene of her propped up against this fence and we know that she's not going to be able to move her legs but like she maybe hasn't figured it out yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's meant to be sort of a tearjerker where it takes you into that dark place but you know it's going to pull you out mm -hmm. again at the end. Like, you know that you're going to sort of be inspired for going through that. Mm -hmm. But it's way more intense than any of the rom com -y stuff or even like the sort of holiday-type movies. Mm -hmm. I don't mean movies like the holiday. I mean holiday season. <laughs> Although it's probably also more harrowing than the holiday. Yeah. I mean, Cameron Diaz has to pull that bag through the snow. So <laughs> I I don't know. I felt for her in it, that instance. Related to the inspirational thing, I'm, I'm thinking about what I said about the romance, and I still wish there were more romance, but at least it let itself be inspirational first. Although I would have loved to have that hunk introduced a little earlier. You could tell there was a, a very deliberate effort to make her overcome her injury on her own first before they brought him in. That easily could have been where it was like she did it for love, but she didn't do it for love. Like they they cut to the real story, but then they were like, "You gotta work in like a hunk, like give us a hunk." She did it for love of rodeo. Yeah, she did it yeah. for love of rodeo. What would be your walk ride rodeo movie? Blank blank. Blah, blah, blah. Oh wow! Oh my gosh! <sighs> Bagel Bialy. <laughs> Blintz. <laughs> Bagel Bialy Blintz. Okay, Bagel Bialy. Smoked salmon. Oh, that's good. That's good. That goes better. They, they go better together. I was going for alliteration, but it's about substance. Yeah. What's yours? I like, I don't know if I should try to like out Jewish you or just, <laughs> I mean, you can try, but you not will after not. that. List. <laughs> um, so that's, that's it for a walk or do because it's very depressing. I don't know. And I don't like thinking about cars. One of my favorite things about living in New York Oof. is not having to drive a car because that accident is like, and also that accident comes out of nowhere, which is the scariest thing about cars. She was on a very straight road. I don't know why she needed the map. <laughs> no that second. It was very stressful. It was extremely stressful, but all this talk about paralysis is really depressing me. So. Let's talk about something happy. Instant Hotel. Oh. We all watched Instant Hotel. And I argue with that characterization. The wildest, which, oh, that, that we happy. all like. No, that it's, it's not happy. happy. You said you were stressed out. Instant yeah. Hotel, before we get okay. into it, Instant Hotel is, is an Australian reality show that um, is now streaming in its entirety on Netflix. It's, I believe, 12 episodes. Honestly, feels like 30 episodes. Yes. I was, it was so long. It's, I mean, I loved every They're second packed. of it. They're jam-packed. It is a very 
confounding and terribly structured reality show that is split in two halves plus a two-episode finale. And it's basically people who have Airbnbs in Australia, all around Australia, all the quadrants of Australia, have Airbnbs and they're competing to find the best Airbnb. They call them instant hotels in Australia, which is like... I don't think that term existed before this. Instant yeah, Hotel I was doesn't if they even... just didn't want to say Airbnb yeah. a lot. And, and I looked some of them up. Some of them are on Booking.com. Some mm. of them are on Airbnb. Some of them are on like whatever, VRBO. Um, it's just a catch-all. Although, what hotel is an instant when you think about it? Like, what makes that instant hotel? I don't really know. The terminology is really bad. I hate the title. <laughs> but I understand what they're doing. It's about... It's basically Airbnb off is what yeah. it should be called. But yes. they can't. It's two groups of, I think, five couples. And couples is not necessarily platonic or romantic. It's just like two folks who operate an Airbnb or online-based rental home. And they all go to each other's rental homes and they rate them. And at the end of the first five episodes, there's a winner. Then they bring in five new people, five new couples, and then they do five more episodes of that. Then there's a winner. Then those two winners compete in the grand final and they try to improve their listings based on the commentary that they got earlier. And there are a lot of flaws in that structure. And one of them is you benefit from being first and you benefit from being last. You're really stuck if you're somewhere in the middle because the first people, they get higher ratings because like no one knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then by the end, people get like lower ratings or higher ratings because they've developed grudges for other people. So they rate based on what they've seen before. It's just like a nightmare structurally. And um, and also I spent most of the first episode trying to figure out how it worked. Yes. Because they don't they explain don't it. Explain they don't there's explain. no here's how it works. Like you even on like Shark Tank or whatever, there's like a one line summary or something going. You can't in. do it. it this took so me confounding. thirty minutes to explain in some yeah, hotel. No, it's it's a it is a an MC Escher of a reality show. It's wild, but the but the personalities are very distinct. You've got your like fussy gay couple. They call them We're, the fussy couple. They're called the fussy, the fussy couple. couple. I had a problem with that too because it feels like, like showing all your cards. Fussy couple, Brent and Leroy. The other, <laughs> like the mother and daughter is mother and daughter. And I can think yeah. of a lot of epithets for them that are not just mother and daughter. Mm -hmm. They were a lot. Did you see yeah. the entrepreneur besties? They try to do this weird strategizing thing as do, I think, what people call them the villains of the show, um, Shay and Mikey. But the strategy doesn't really help you in the long run. Because in the end, it really is. You can be a terrible person, but in the end, it really is all about the house. And there's no really getting around that, which is kind of a... Well, only if people are voting fairly. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and so they do. I only watched the first couple episodes. They they do vote fairly. And fortunately, they have this woman who's kind of the moderator. And she's a little more diplomatic with everything and very fair. And I think her influence makes people realize, like... You can't go crazy here because at the end of the day, it's all about the houses. What was your favorite house that you saw of oh, the ones? I mean, it's the Johnny Rockets. Yeah. The Johnny Rockets. <laughs> well, and they also were my favorite couple. They were so sweet. I love a coarse gray mullet. Yeah. Mark and Janine. <laughs> and they're just like, at first they seem sort of like, well, their obsession with 1950s and 60s Americana is weird. And they've never been to America they either. They've afforded all Wait, this so, crazy yeah. shit. So Robbie, who, but they've so, never been to America. But the prize is a trip to America. Yeah. They don't win, do they? They don't win. Aww. So the winners are um, Terry and Anita. Very clearly, I think it was just the obvious choice in the very beginning that they had the best house because it, it it balanced just like a really nice interior. There was plenty of space for everyone to sleep because like everyone gets in the same pitfalls where it's like there aren't enough beds. There aren't enough bathrooms. Like, but also in, not every Airbnb is built for 
five adult couples. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So it just had the clear winner in terms of like space and the bed comfort. not being covered in bugs. The bed wasn't covered oh in bugs. Oh my god. <laughs> no windows in the shower. Also, that was very that strange. Couple, that couple runs into bugs like in the finale of the series and I was like what is it about bugs? Also I thought it's Australia I've never been Someone but I expected to tell bugs to, to be everywhere. the windows. Yes. Like they didn't close the windows before they left Don't for the you night. know that in Australia that there are just bugs the size or, of your face? it should be in the the guide to the, the house packet. in the welcome packet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Johnny Rockets house was my favorite because it, as the interior designer moderator woman mentioned, it was incredibly clean. Like yeah. it just looked beautiful. But also that couple of the first batch, they were the only ones who were not terrible. Yeah. That's Everyone true. else was terrible by the middle of episode two. And like, I don't need my reality show to be 80% villains. Yeah. And Babe and Bondi end up winning that, winning that round. Babe oh. and Bondi. Babe and Bondi, the she mother named daughter. Her daughter after the beach. That is really st- <laughs> the whole. I, the one thing I, my boyfriend and I were watching it together mm-hmm. last night, and there's something about the Australian accent too that like every word has like seven extra vowels. Oh, in I it. love it. Yeah. It's like oh, I was really overwhelmed, and it's like I love there's it. every vowel and all of like it's I is spelled O I A U. And it is that is actually to me like one of the most pleasurable aspects of the show is because if I think about the other things that I like watch like with devotion on Netflix it's Terrace House Mm -hmm. Bake Off um, all the Monty Hall gardening shows not American speakers not American exactly and there's this it's cool to like see how other cultures work like apparently Australians are really hardcore about fences around pools which maybe Americans are too I live in New York City and don't have children (laughs) Um, so but the, like getting a sense of like the different regions, like the mm. North Coast and all the different parts of Australia and listening to all the accents. And I got really caught up in, I think one of the fussy couple guys is American, but then like um, yeah. of the Babe and Bondi, the daughter has a very mild accent. And then the interior designer sounds very British, but sometimes some like more posh Australian mm. accents sound British. I was just like going down this whole linguistics tear yeah. and then like sort of muttering to myself, trying to emulate their oh, accents. Yeah. Cause so much fun. None of them sound the same. Like none of them sound like my Siri, which I set as Australian man. <laughs> Oh, you know wow. you can change the accent I of your Siri. Yeah, mine's yeah, Australian. Yeah, my husband has a New Zealand woman, I think. Oh, what? New Zealand woman. Yeah. I also realized I said Monty Hall instead of Monty Don for the gardener. Monty- <laughs> I just need to just apologize about that. What is that I- show also called? You love that show. It's called Big Dreams, Small Spaces. It's like the opposite of this. So like I... I Tell us. Okay. It is, it is in the Bob Ross school of soothing. It's like milder and gentler than Bake Off. Mm-hmm. So he is... A British gardener celebrity. I'm really curious about what his sort of actual fame status is in the UK, mm-hmm. because on this show, it's like like the like Beyonce is coming to your mm-hmm. house. Does he have like a great <laughs> voice? Is he one of those radio gardeners? I, I know that's know. a category of like AM talk show. No, yeah. I don't know. Although growing up, we had on local radio, yeah. we had a gardener, um, Ralph Snodsmith, and people was call in. Gardener, that's a great local name. radio gardeners yeah. are a big deal. But I don't, I don't think that's his deal. But but so anyway, the premise of the show is he. So everyone in England apparently has a garden. It's like it might be very small, but it's it gives me a lot of outdoor space envy as a New Yorker. Um, but each episode, he helps two people transform their little plot of land Mm -hmm. Um, and so it might be their front yard their backyard there's this thing in England where you it's sort of like a community garden where you might have a plot that's not attached to your house and so each episode they each season 
must have all been shot concurrently because each episode spans like from spring to fall. Okay. And so they have all of that growing season time to buy plants and dig stuff up and, you know, clear away brush and just make the space something beautiful that they love. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's, you know, a reason, you know, one woman wanted to make her front yard like a community garden that's inviting for people all around. One couple has a kid with um, like a sensory processing disorder. So they wanted to make a garden that was very safe for him Mm -hmm. or her and like with things to smell and touch and play in. Mm -hmm. And he dresses like a early 20th century painter. It's all like suspenders and like canvas jackets and stuff. Um, And he's so gentle and so sweet and knows so much about gardening. And it's like the perfect show that you actually can pay a lot of attention to if you want and like learn a lot about gardening and in terms of design and plants and stuff. And he'll sometimes like if someone's going for, you know, uh, an Italian garden feel, he'll take them to somewhere where they can see how a professional does that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can just sort of it's beautiful, soothing background for just like there are gardens and kind people. Yeah, (laughs) that sounds lovely. It is so lovely and just so and and the gardens are beautiful. Like it's aesthetically beautiful too. Like you said, the opposite of instant hotel. Yeah, instant hotel yes. is not. That. And I'm even like, oh, these black sheets are so magical. Oh my God, the black <laughs> sheets. The mean that that's the judge Julia Ashworth is like sounds like the opposite of that woman of that guy mm-hmm. too. Where it's like she comes in and you're like, oh no, it's it's very like Miranda Priestly. Like mm-hmm. she comes in and it's like, oh no, Julia's here. I mean, I love Julia, but like that's not a pleasant experience to have Julia be like, and these sheets disgusting. You should have white linens and like this. There's a there's a hole in the in the portaloo or whatever. Like there's like one of the one of the bathrooms has windows looking into the staircase and everyone was like horrified, understandably. Um, yeah, this show is not pleasant to watch, but I found it completely hypnotic and I loved every episode of it. It just because it was so absurd, like it it seemed to have no sense of the fact that it made no sense. Like yeah. it yes. was completely unaware, oblivious to the fact that like it was incomprehensible are you gonna finish it i don't think so oh you gotta finish it's too it. mean for me it is it's really like it's eight like four of the five couples were bad it, it's a lot of petty trash talking yeah. and like it, yeah i do feel like they're all egged on i think that that comes through and were... like it could be done in a much more bake-off way yeah where it was supportive and it was like you said like the judgment is in the house it doesn't matter if you're mean so like why not just be cool yeah but the casting was for these difficult types for petty they were people. obviously fussy pushed. couples fussy yes. couples, fussy couples. The- I, I appreciated the pettiness I was like very entertained by the pettiness because it was like oh they didn't clean underneath this one dresser or like someone they didn't lock their personal belongings into a, like another drawer right. and it was like well they yep. didn't lock the stuff in or like they have fake plastic rocks in their water feature and not real rocks in their water feature I, like the which pettiness is, is fun. also the attitude I bring to every Airbnb I go to <laughs> yeah, absolutely. so it is very true to life in that way mm-hmm. I wonder what the show would be like in the US yeah, like going around like all different states, seeing yeah. pieces of the Violent, country. Violent, probably. <laughs> I feel like, I think we found this gun with the safety off. And... <laughs> In every single house, there was a gun with a safety off. I wish Eurovision were a state-by-state song contest in America. Mm. Oh, that'd be And I great. wish Instant Hotel were a cross-country journey around American Airbnbs because... Put them in a Winnebago and do it like road rules. Please, Ooh. please. If you're listening, Netflix, I, th- I hope you are. 
I hope you are just just bring Nicole Byer over again honestly yeah. oh, from the yeah, that'd, be, that'd great. be great I'm gonna I'm gonna put a link in the show notes to oh, a place yeah. where you can book all the hotels because it really is funny to see the prices but enough about Instant Hotel we've talked so much about these two shows and we have to end thank you Jamie and Emmy for being here with me this afternoon I hope this was fun to talk about our new favorite shows even though they might not be our new favorite shows they're our new favorite shows do either of you want to A open an Airbnb or B start rodeoing no I want to have a garden in England <laughs> I, I want to paint little trees. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Obsessed With This. We'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. And in the meantime, you can call 754-225-5262 and tell me what series or film on Netflix you are obsessed with. And we might play them on future episodes. And in case you couldn't get that number down, yes, it is 754-CALL-BOB. 754-CALL-BOB. Um, and you might be featured on the next episode of I'm Obsessed With This. See you in two weeks. 